Okay, I want to see if you learned from last time. When I say good morning, you say? Thank you. That was much better than uh, in July. We're closing out our series in Proverbs this morning. This summer, we've been looking at Proverbs as a guide to life. We've been looking at Proverbs as a guide to life. And last month, I got to share with you the power of words. There are no more powerful words that were ever spoken or written or lived than the words of God. Now I get to speak with you about how God's word, Proverbs, are actually a guide to life. We saw last time it was a guide not just to physical life, but also to spiritual and eternal life. It is a guide to life. We saw this in Danny's first sermon with wisdom. We've heard sermons on wealth, on envy, on friendship, and anger. And all of these point us to how we're to live for God, but not just how we're to live for God. They have a much deeper meaning. There is a much deeper purpose behind why we study God's Word, why we've been studying Proverbs, and it's not the end game of life here on earth. So we were in Proverbs 4, 20 through 22 last time. Just let me read these words to you. My son, pay attention to what I say. Listen closely to my words. Do not keep them, let them, do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart for they are life to those who find them and health to a man's whole body. We actually focused on the bookends of this passage last time. We saw that God, our Heavenly Father, is the one who is really speaking to us. We saw that we have a God who cares in Genesis 1 and 2, Genesis 2, 7. We see that God cared enough to take the time to form us out of the dust of the earth, to, as Genesis 1, 26 and 27 tells us, that both male and female were created in His image. He cares enough for that. But we also see in 2.7 that he breathed the very breath of life into us. He cares enough to desire intimacy with you and with me that he would breathe the very breath of life into you. He does that for no other creation. He spoke much of the rest of creation into existence. But for you and for me, he breathed the very breath of life into us. We also saw that we have a God who loves us. He loves us enough to send his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. He sent the living word and he's given us the written word to tell us how to come to the living word and he also provides for us. That is the heavenly father that says to us, my son, pay attention to what I say. Why? Because of the book ends again, the second part of this, verse 22, for they are life to those who find him and health to a man's whole body. What we saw is that health to a man's whole body in the New Testament is found in the word soterion, salvation. Health to one's whole body, it means completeness, being brought to fullness, being brought back to health is actually what salvation means. And so from the Old Testament to the New Testament, we pay attention to God's words because they bring life and they bring salvation. That's why we're to pay attention. But what we see from these middle verses, the ones that say, listen closely to my words, do not let them out of your sight and keep them within your heart. What we see is God's pattern for discipline and affirmation, God's pattern of discipline 
and affirmation. And what he calls us to do is to have discipline, first of all, ears and then eyes and then a disciplined heart. Disciplined ears, disciplined eyes, and disciplined heart that we might share his life-giving power with others. Let's look at the first of these, disciplined ears. My son, pay attention to what I say. Listen closely to my words, discipline and affirmation with our ears. Discipline has several facts, facets to it. The first is instruction. The first is instruction. Think about it. Kids, you can give me a groan with this. School starts for most of you on Thursday. Summer's over and school starts. Any groans? None? Yeah. Everybody's excited. My first grader, Ruthie, is very excited to be going to school. But I think that wears off by the time you get to junior high and high school, right, guys? What is the first thing a teacher does? My wife was a kindergarten teacher for five years. What's the first thing a teacher does in the new school year? They establish discipline. How do they do that? They, they establish it by setting class rules. And you go over those class rules on the first day. It's done through instruction and teaching. Did you realize, students and children, that your teacher is actually teaching you how you're to conduct yourself in the classroom? That's exactly what they do on the first day. So we're to listen closely to his words. But God's words are not just mere class rules. As we've been saying, they are a guide to life, not just physical life, but spiritual and eternal life. Discipline is established at the earliest age by instruction from parents. Is it not parents? If any of you have had children in here before, know that it's established by instruction through parents. What are some of the earliest rules that we do? I have a son who will be four. We thought we knew this one, but the other day had to go over it. The first, maybe don't touch the light socket, right? Don't touch the light socket. How about don't pull up on the wobbly furniture. We had some friends of ours over for dinner a couple weeks ago. They have a baby uh, who is pulling up on things, and he scared me half to death because he pulled up on our fire screen. That was a little scary for me. So don't pull up on wobbly furniture. How about uh, this one? Don't pull the dog's hair or the cat's tail. We have a dog. I love the dog. My wife had a cat, Oreo. I hated that cat. So if we ever have a cat, kids, y'all are welcome to pull the cat's tail. How about this one? Don't drink the bath water. Don't drink the bath water. Six-year-old, about to be four-year-old. And another one is in the same vein here. The bathtub is not the toilet. My son's about to be four. I got to say that again. The bathtub is not the toilet. And, And one more for good measure here. Don't eat food off the floor. Don't eat food off the floor. Don't eat food off the floor unless it's been there less than 10 seconds, right, guys? Many of y'all met Jordan Cox. He is our uh, social media guy. So Jordan's running that camera right there this morning. And Jordan, let me just tell you, if you're going to tweet anything about this sermon, if people want to know what was said in the sermon, it should include either hashtag 10-second rule or hashtag the tub is not the toilet. I think that would be a good public service announcement and let people know what went on at Shades this morning. Listen closely to my words, he says. Why is it so important? 
Why is it so important to listen to God's words? Because he says again in verse 22, they are life and salvation. They are life and salvation. Is this, this is the Old Testament. It sounds a lot like the New Testament, right? John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then in John 8, he says, I am the light of the world. So this should be familiar to us. The world is dark, but God's word is light. We see this in Proverbs 6. Look with me. You can look on the screen, but Proverbs 6, verses 20 through 23. My son, keep your father's commands and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Bind them upon your heart forever. Fasten them around your neck. When you walk, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will speak to you, for these commands are a lamp. This teaching is a light, and the corrections of discipline are the way to life. They're the way to life. This is exactly, again, what Jesus said in John 14, that he is the way to life. God's word is the way to life. In both the Old and the New Testament, we saw last time, Genesis 1, 1 to Revelation 22, 21, it's all about Jesus. The whole of God's word is the gospel. So you see this in Proverbs 6, but we also see it in a passage like Deuteronomy 6. Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 9, the first two verses, 4 and 5, are known as the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul and with all your strength. And then he proceeds to, through Moses, to tell the people how they're to raise their children. And, uh, and let me give you a little homework assignment. Go and read Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, because you'll see when you compare it to Proverbs 6, this is almost the exact same thing that's said. God is consistent throughout his word because he desires us to know him because he is the only way for life. We live our lives in such a way, Proverbs is a practical God of life. We live our lives in such a way that it would point us and point others to spiritual and eternal life. We see this later on in Deuteronomy 6, verse 24. The Lord commanded us to obey these decrees and to fear the Lord our God so that we might always prosper and be kept alive, have life as is the case today. Why did God give us his word? Why did he set this as a pattern of discipline for us, his instruction in his word for us? So that we might have life. Parents, your instruction to your children's point them, your children, point them to life. Look at Proverbs 4.13. Hold on to instruction. Do not let it go. Guard it well, for it is your, everybody say it with me, it's your life. God's words of instruction for you are your very life. Parents, did you realize when you're teaching your children that the things that you say and do are their very life? We had a four or five funny kind of uh, rules that parents set up early on in life. One of the other ones is not to cross the street. Why do we not want them to cross the street? So they don't get hit by a car, right? That is very much to keep them 
alive. I was always confused by this. My parents are here today. I was always confused by this because we lived close to a freeway and they told me I was not allowed to cross the street. They didn't want me to be hit by a car. And if I did, I had to look both ways. But when I got really annoying towards the end of the summer, which is where we're at, they would often say, go play on the freeway. It just never made sense to me as to why they would have that conflict there. Proverbs ten seventeen: he who heeds discipline shows the way to life, but whoever ignores correction leads others astray. You must teach and cling to God's discipline, his instruction, because it's the way to life. And if you don't heed it yourself and you don't instruct others in it, you're leading others astray. So parents, parents, does your teaching and instruction point your children to God and his word. The things you say and the things you do, your children are paying attention to. The rules of your house, are they, do they match God's word? Do you even know God's word enough to know with, if what you're establishing in your children lines up with God and his word? Because you can't teach what you don't know. You cannot teach what you don't know. Do you know God's word well enough to know whether you're leading your children astray or whether you're pointing them to life. Again, folks, this is not just so that your kids don't get in trouble at school. Your instruction parents is not just, it's not the end game is not so they get into a good college. Half of y'all say Auburn, half of y'all say Alabama. I say sick and bears, right? There you go. Jason Williams just nodded and uh, gave me a thumbs up there. It's not so they get a good, good, into a good college. It's not so they don't get in trouble. It's not so that they get a good job either. The reason you instruct your children, the reason you have these rules, the reason you have this practical guide to life is so that you can point them to eternal and spiritual life. We've spoken a lot about this so far, but stern discipline, Proverbs fifteen ten. stern discipline awaits him who leaves a path. He who hates correction will die. Parents, did you realize, did you realize that if your kids forsake discipline, if you fall short in establishing that pattern of discipline, it is a life and death situation? Think about that. It is a life and death situation. I realized this uh, as I was pastoring a couple years ago in Texas. I was uh, preaching or teaching, I can't remember which one, on uh, Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 9, the one I shared with you to go and look up later. And I remember this just hit me all of a sudden as I was reading this. And I kind of knew it in the back of my mind, but never really just put it together that way. But do you realize, parents, that if you have unsaved children in your home, that you live in a divided household? I'm not talking about Auburn and Alabama here, even worse than that. I'm talking about the fact that maybe you and your spouse, or maybe it's just you, you're the only one in your household that knows Christ. And parents, unless you establish God's pattern of discipline for your children physically, but also spiritually, They are dead as they're walking. 
This is exactly what Paul says in Ephesians 2, verses 1, verse 1, really through 4. But he says, as for you, you, that double you there is emphasis. As for you, you were dead in your sins and transgressions. A good way to translate that is you are dead men, dead people walking. Did you realize your children are walking in death if they don't know Christ? Have you ever thought of it that way? Has it ever struck you in that manner? Does that maybe change the importance of God and his word in your life so that you might not lead your children astray, but that you might point them to life because it is literally a life and death situation? Is it vital to pay attention? Look at, for students here, look at Proverbs five fifteen. A fool spurns his father's discipline, but he who heeds correction shows prudence. A fool spurns his father's discipline. But he who heeds correction shows prudence. This is exactly what the fifth commandment tells us in Exodus 20, verse 12. Honor your father and mother. Honor your father and mother is the fifth commandment. But as Paul tells us in Ephesians 5, it is the first commandment with a promise. Did you realize that? Students, did you realize it's the first commandment with a promise? Look at what it says. The whole of the verse says, Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. God desires for you to honor your parents, to not spurn their discipline, so that you might have, as Proverbs has said over and over again, and God has said in the whole of his word, so that you might have life. As I've shared a couple times this morning, it's the end of the summer. And so parents, let me give you a couple quick wins here because I know if you're anything like uh, my wife, she uh, gets to be a stay-at-home mom and y'all catch the brunt of it, but you're probably getting weary. And let me just remind you again, for most of you stay-at-home moms, Thursday's the day there's light at the end of the tunnel. You're not going to have to uh, uh, run out and scream, Okay. There's light at the end of the tunnel. Let me share a couple quick wins here. Your, ki- your kids actually pay attention to what you say. Every night since we've brought our children home from the hospital, we read a Bible story and we pray. We read a Bible story and we pray, but we've, we've chosen life verses for our kids. My son, Timothy, who will be four later this month, his life verse is Matthew five sixteen. Let your Light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise our Father in heaven. Now again, he's four and when he was an infant, no more than eight months old, every day we would say, Timmy, let your light. And we'd hold our finger up. Sissy, mommy and daddy, we're all holding our finger up. I remember he's eight months old. Beth is holding him. And all of a sudden we said, Timmy, let your, and bing, that finger went up. He was paying attention at eight months old. Planting the seeds in the gospel of an eight-month-old, don't tell me that they're they're too young to know. This is a visible representation to to him of that verse. Now he knows that verse. His sister knows her verse. They're never too early to learn, and they pay attention to what you say, whether you realize it or not. Here's another one. These are Ruthie's rules. Remember, moms... I shared this, if we're going to put the, these up here. Moms, I shared these uh, with you because my wife, a couple weeks ago, was at her wits' end. You see, we've got a six-year-old and a four-year-old, and, and fit throwing is kind of an issue, even though we use the rod of correction to help uh, us with that. Sometimes they forget, and it's getting to the end of, end of summer, 
and Beth was at her wit's end and Ruthie came in and she's got what you can't see on the top. It says, Timmy, Johnny, Beth, and Ruthie. These are our family rules. She's going into first grade, so it's kind of sound spelled. Listen to Ruthie's rules here. Number one, you have to obey God. Number one is you have to obey God. She just summed up the Ten Commandments and everything that's in here from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21, all in one thing. You have to obey God. That's the first one. How about number two? Clean up your room. Number three, obey your mama and daddy. Absolutely. Well done, Ruthie. Number four, do not hit. Number five, do not push. I promise my kids aren't that violent. <clears throat> oh man, number six, do not hurt each other. <laughs> wow, you'd think we had all boys. Right, Michael? Is that right? All boys. Number seven, calm down when you're mad. Number eight, share your toys. Number nine, have good, G-U-D, good manners. And 10, be nice. Number 10 is be nice. See, parents, your kids are listening to the things that you say. Disciplined ears heed instruction and attain eternal life through it. Disciplined ears heed instruction and attain eternal life through it. Do you have disciplined ears? Both parents, students, and children, do you have disciplined ears so that you might heed instruction and attain eternal life through it. Parents, again, this is not the end game. It's not so your kids will behave. It's not so they won't embarrass you in public, but I will say, moms of toddlers and preschoolers, if you ever see me around this campus and I'm standing a bit of a ways off and your kid throws a fit and I either smile or chuckle to myself a little bit, I'm not laughing at you. I'm just thankful that at least somebody else's kids do it too. But that's not the end game. The end game is eternal life. Listen closely to my words Verse 21, do not let them out of your sight. Discipline and affirmation with our eyes. Do not let them out of your sight. As we age, discipline moves solely from others' instruction to take on the form of self-discipline. We teach ourselves and we can learn things ourselves. This is exactly what the author of Hebrews and the end of chapter 5, beginning of chapter 6 is talking about when he says that we move off of Spiritual milk. We, we move from babies to adulthood. We move from spiritual milk to solid food. We begin to teach ourselves, but that begins with having disciplined eyes. It begins with not letting God's word out of our sight. Self-discipline important. Look at uh, Proverbs thirteen eighteen. He who ignores discipline comes to poverty and shame, but whoever heeds correction is honored. We're going to focus on the second half of that. I am from Houston, Texas, and let me just say this is not to be taken as health and wealth. Just because we don't have money does not necessarily mean that we've not heeded discipline. So that is to say... If we have our best life now, there's nothing to look forward to in eternity. So here we go. Second half says this. Whoever heeds correction is honored. When we lead a disciplined life, we don't have to seek out others to praise us. Look what Proverbs 27, 2 says. Let another praise you and not your own mouth. Someone else 
not your own lips. We don't have to seek out praise when we lead a disciplined life. When, you, when your ways are pleasing to the Lord, even your enemies are at peace with you. How do we know our ways are pleasing to the Lord? We take this, we pick it up, and we read it every day. We take it up, we pick it up, and we read it every day. And as we'll see in a few moments, the last part here, God it just ends up hiding it in our heart. James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who will give it to him generously without finding fault. If you want others to praise you for your wisdom, seek out God, seek out his wisdom and his word. And others will praise you for it. It's also important to look at Proverbs 15, 32. He who ignores discipline despises himself, but whoever heeds correction gains understanding. Do any of us in here despise ourselves? Don't raise your hands. Does anybody in here despise yourself? No, none of us really despises ourselves. at times. We're like, why did we do that? But we don't really despise ourself. But again, it says if we ignore discipline, we despise ourselves. but he who heeds correction gains understanding. Are you willing to heed correction? We must exercise discipline in all aspects of our lives. As Danny uh, was sharing a couple weeks ago about not being a sluggard here, we can look like we've got it all together on the outside looking in, but there's areas in our lives that we hesitate to work on. I, I, I'm thinking of dis, distance running. I've run a couple marathons and about a half dozen half marathons. And there's two things that I'm told that you're supposed to do and I've tried to work on when I'm, when I'm running marathons. The first is you're supposed to do speed work. Let me share something with you about my speed work. I'm, I'm kind of a thin guy, right? I have what we call the Turner Deceptive Speed. I am actually much slower than I look. Speed work is not fun for me because it's not very fast. If any of you are baseball fans, if you ever remember when Andy Pettit was in the National League playing for the Astros, it didn't look like he was running through ankle-deep mud. It looked like he was running through knee-high mud to first base. That's about how fast I go. But speed work actually makes you better. The other thing you're supposed to do is to cross-train. In cross-training, I've found that there are these things called negatives. I love doing push-ups and pull-ups. I can do lots of them. That's great. But there's these things called negatives. Anybody that works out knows what a negative is. You don't just throw things up quickly or use heavy weights. You might use a lighter weight. You may not do as many push-ups. There's one workout I do in 30 minutes. I only do 50 push-ups and 50 pull-ups in sets of 10. So there's five sets of 10. But instead of just cranking out 10 push-ups, it's like this. One, two, three, up. Two, two, three, up. Now, how many of y'all think it would be easier to do 10 push-ups really quick or 10 push-ups with the negatives? It's a lot more difficult to do the negatives. In fact, I'm much more tired doing only 50 negative push-ups than I am when I do a workout where I've got a whole bunch of them in there. Why is it that I do this? Why is it that I do that? Because I don't despise myself. I'm willing to heed discipline and heed instruction. That's just one aspect. But what we find out in the whole of God's word in a passage like 1 Timothy 4.8, physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding the promise for both the present life and the life to come. See, the end game again is not just 
a practical guide to life that we apply these things and we become a better runner or we apply the Proverbs and we become more successful. The end game is so that we can point ourselves and others to Christ. That's what the end game is here with Proverbs being a guide for life. This is consistent throughout God's word in Psalm 1. Psalm 1, it says this, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on it he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither, whether whatever he does prospers. What I want to focus in on here is verse two. Leave that up there. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And on it, he meditates day and night. There's a book I read when we first got married. It's by Steve Farrar, Point Man. I recommend it to every married man in here or anybody that wants to get married one day. Men, read this. But what he says, his commentary on, on particularly verse two of Proverbs one is that we're to make it our business to know God's Word. That's what he means by meditate day and night. So when Proverbs 4 verse 21 tells us, do not let God's word out of our sight, that means that we're to make it our business. We're to, we're to continually look at it over and over again. Why do we do it? Because again, the, the fruit is the last part of verse 21. Keep them within your heart. That just happens when, it's, when you do that. It just happens when you focus on God's word, when they're constantly before your eyes. Proverbs fifteen twelve: a mocker resents correction. He will not consult the wise. A mocker resents correction. He will not consult the wise. Here's the, the sad thing about God's word and heeding his instruction, why we don't meditate on it day and night, because a lot of times when we read this, we get convicted. When we read this, we see something that God says, Johnny, John, you should not be living this way or this attitude's been wrong for years. You need to change. You need to adjust to what my word actually says. And so we take this, we go home, we either leave it in the car or we throw it on the kitchen counter, on the nightstand, on the shelf, and it sits there for a week. But again, Proverbs 15 12 tells us a mocker resents correction. Why is that a big deal? Because the last half of Psalm 1 tells us, not so the wicked, the wicked, the mocker, the sinner from verse 1 of Psalm 1. They're slightly different, but they're one and the same. So not so the wicked, they are like chaff. The wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of righteousness. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Proverbs is a guide to life. If we listen to God and his word, if we pay attention to his word, it brings life and salvation. If we choose to ignore it, the opposite is true. It actually brings ultimate, eternal death. We remain spiritually dead. So that shouldn't surprise us that Proverbs 12.1 tells us this, Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. If you don't like correction, if you despise discipline, you're stupid. God's word actually called you a dummy. Is anybody in here stupid? 
none of us would say that we're stupid, but we are when we hate the correction of God in his word. Disciplined eyes remain focused upon God's life-giving words of instruction. Disciplined eyes remain focused on God's life-giving words of instruction. Does that describe you this morning? We've seen discipline and affirmation with our ears, with our eyes. Now let's look at discipline and affirmation with our heart. Proverbs 4.21, the last part tells us, keep them within your heart. We are to keep God's words within our heart. This is exactly what the psalmist tells us in Psalm 119. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not, what are the results, sin against you. That ought to be our end goal. There is no perfectionism. I hate to tell you this, but we're all still sinners saved by grace. I don't care how many years you've been a Christian. We are all still sinners saved by grace. But that should be our deepest desire is to hide God's word in our heart that we might not sin against him. This does mean, however, that we change the way we view God's discipline whenever we've hidden his word in our heart. Listen to Proverbs 3, 11 and 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. God disciplines us because he loves us. As a parent, this is one of the things that I've tried to instill in my children as we do discipline. Again, we sometimes have to use the rod of correction, but shortly after we use the rod of correction, I'm very quick to pick up my child and grab them and hold them and say, Daddy loves you. Did Daddy spank you because, because he doesn't love you? No, who loves you? Timmy. Who loves you? You do, Daddy. Who else loves you? God loves me. Jesus loves me. These are his answers. Mama does. Ruthie does. You do. Okay, buddy. But I spank you because God's word tells me that if I love you, I'll spank you. He who fails to use the rod of correction hates his own son. Hates. You see, whenever we hide God's words in our heart, Discipline moves from being disciplined in the negative sense to discipline in the positive sense. We understand that we have a God that loves us. We have a God, a father who tells us to pay attention to what he says, to heed his words, to hide them in our heart, to listen to him, to put them before our eyes. Why? Because he cares for us. He loves for us. And ultimately he provides for us. He's provided a way out. He's provided ultimate victory through Jesus Christ. That's what he's provided. So when discipline in God's word causes, uh, causes us to have it penetrate our heart, it changes us. Romans 12, two says this, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed We're changed by the renewing of our mind. Then we can test and approve God's will, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. It changes the way we think. Some would say that we would call this our world view. What does Proverbs have to say? Proverbs 28, 4. Those who forsake the law praise the wicked, but those who keep the law resist them. It changes our worldview. Is this important? It's especially important today. At the end of Romans 1, Paul is railing against the people of his day, the wickedness 
of those in that Roman rule. And he ends Romans 1 with verse 32. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but they also approve of those who, uh, who do them. They also approve of those who practice them. Do we see this in our world today? Do we see this in our nation, the approving of those who do the things that God says are wicked? We have a, a leader in this country who, at the overturning of the, uh, of the sanctity of marriage, tweeted out, hashtag love wins. Is that not exactly what Romans one thirty two says? They not only approve of these things, but they approve of those who practice them. Hashtag love wins. I have news. Guess what? First John uh, 4.8 tells us that God himself is love. In Romans, if you pay it, I mean, Revelation, if you pay attention in Revelation 19, as we saw last time I got to speak with you, God, in fact, does win in the end. God is love and he wins. So yes, God is love. He wins. Yes, love does win in the end. But when we have disciplined eyes and ears, it leads to a disciplined heart and an affirmed heart. Discipline and affirmed heart lead us to a steady and unshakable faith. In fact, it might lead you to the type of faith that when you're a few months shy of 36 and a couple months ago the doctor tells you that you have cancer, you might be able to send an email to your fellow staff members and to the deacons and to the finance committee that, that ends kind of like this. This is all I know for sure for now, but I'll be letting you know more as I know more over the next couple of months. What I do know is that God is sovereign. When David desired to build a house for the Lord, but was told it was not God's plan for him, he proclaimed, how great you are, sovereign Lord. There is no one like you, and there is no God but you, sovereign Lord. You are God. Your covenant is trustworthy. You have promised these good things to your servant. God had promised David a forever kingdom in the verses that preceded this. And even though we don't have a forever kingdom, we have an ultimate king, a forever kingdom on earth as David was promised. We do have a forever kingdom through Jesus Christ in eternity. And although we've not been promised this uh, kingdom, we see that David had also been promised that the Lord would be with him whenever and wherever he went and would go. We've also been promised the same thing, and surely I'm with you till the end of the age. So what I do know and what I'm trusting in, God, his promises, his sovereignty, and that he is ultimately working this situation for my good, Romans 8, 28, for my good and his glory. I thank you in advance for your prayers and support in Christ, John Turner, your administrative pastor. You see, disciplined hearts willingly receive correction. Disciplined hearts willingly receive correction, but also receive affirmation from God's word. 
God calls us through his word to have disciplined ears and eyes and hearts that we might share his life-giving power with others. That is the purpose he's called for us to have, disciplined ears and eyes and hearts. You have such an opportunity in the coming week with Franklin Graham and the crusade. Are you willing to be bold in your faith? Have you disciplined your ears to hear God's word to you in the past and this morning and this week? Have you disciplined your eyes to keep God's word before you so that when someone asks why you have hope in Christ, you can tell them and use God's word? And do you have a disciplined heart that has the brokenness that Christ has for lost people as well? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we've had to come and to study your word this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to worship. God, I just pray that uh, you would be with us as we go out into the world this week. You've called us in your word to pay attention to your words, to listen to them, listen to them with our ears, to keep them before our eyes and to hide them in our hearts. Why, Father? Because they are life and salvation. God, I pray that our words might be life and salvation to others, that we've established this pattern of discipline in our lives so that we can share the good news of Jesus Christ with the lost and dying world around us. It's in your son, Jesus' name we pray. Amen.